0: You want to turn in your Bibles to uh, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verse 10. I'm going to read uh, verse 10 through uh, 4 8. I'll pray and then we'll dive into the word uh, of God. Paul is writing to a young pastor, Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, "...continue in what you have learned, and have firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. I charge you, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus Uh, Even the fact that we have the privilege of reading your word, uh, words communicated to us by the the sovereign creator of the world. Uh, God, we are so in awe of you. We want to bless your holy name this morning. God, you are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And yet, God, when we enter your presence, we are reminded of how short we fall, how we all sin against you, God, with sins of commission and sins of omission. Uh, Father, we pray now through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the shed blood of our great Savior, that you would forgive us of our sins. We confess them to you and we pray that you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Purify us to be a people set apart for your own possession who are zealous for good works. God, help us be a people to do your work, to follow your word. God, we love your word. Uh, we want your word to, to go forth uh, in our city. God, we pray for John Chambers this morning as he preaches at Remedy. God, we pray that you would bless him as he opens the word of God to the people of God. We pray that that church would be formed, would be shaped, would be molded around the word of God. God, we pray that that, that body would be, um, would be moved from one degree of glory to the next. And God, now as we open the word to, to the people whom I love the most, to the people uh, that you have entrusted to my care. God, I pray, Father, that you would bless them this morning through your word. God, help us realize the value of discipline, the value of hearing your word and being formed and shaped by it. God, we pray against distractions now. We pray for the next 30 minutes that our, our, our attention would be zeroed in on your word. God, allow us to hear it with, with receptive hearts, not only to hear the word, but be, be quick to do your words. Father, I pray that I may decrease, that you may increase. God, magnify your name this morning. So God, as we open your word, we ask you uh, humbly to bless your people through the preaching of your word. We ask this through the name of our great Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. I grew up uh, as an athlete, Uh, I loved sports of all kind, I enjoyed anything with a ball. (laughs) Um, But as a young child, I was not a very good uh, athlete. Uh, I remember striking out often in coaches' pitch little league. Uh, I remember my first year of basketball, I scored four points the entire season. Um, Regardless of my struggles, I still loved sports. Um, I started to practice and practice and practice to improve my athletic craft. I spent hours at the gym playing basketball. At the hoop outside my elementary school behind my house, I would shoot and shoot and shoot. I would draw a square box on the wall of my elementary school, take a tennis ball, and practice my pitching motion and throw pitch after pitch after pitch. I wanted to grow as an athlete, so I disciplined myself to grow, to become better. I wanted to improve in my athletic skill, and as I grew, I became good at sports. As a senior in high school, I was the captain of the football, basketball, and baseball teams. People would say that your work ethic, how you disciplined yourself, um, was applauded. They had applauded that effort. Now, we know in our culture that discipline is necessary for growth. It's definitely necessary for an athlete to improve in their sport. Uh, The discipline that athletes have in their work ethic uh, grows them in their skill, That work ethic is legit. It's too legit to quit. The discipline is also necessary to improve the health of the church. Protestant reformers of the 16th century said that any church, any true church, hear me, beloved, where the word of God is where the word of God is preached and taught, sacraments are rightly administered, and church discipline faithfully exercised. There, The one true, holy, and apostolic church is present. Now, discipline has always been a part of of the church, the historic Christian church. Now, in our culture, discipline for an athlete is applauded. You know, when you see someone going to the Charlotte Bobcats in their, their rookie season, scoring eight points, and by their second season, they're scoring 15. You saw them improve, and that is applauded in our culture. But that discipline, that same discipline to improve the purity and the holiness of the church, of the one true and living God, is often derided. We desperately need to recover a healthy, robust understanding of church discipline. We must desire a pure church, a holy church, a church without any wrinkle or blemish. So this morning, I will attempt to clarify and explain what church discipline is and why we should uh, want it, why it's desperately needed in our age. So historically, there's two forms of church discipline. I'm going to take those two forms, I'm going to expand it to to explain it in four different ways. So if you have a bulletin uh, provided for you, you can flip on the back and the first point this morning, we must recover regular precautionary church discipline, regular precautionary precautionary church discipline the church must protect its membership the church is for believers of jesus christ the call of the gospel goes wide and far we invite what all to come we invite all to gather with us as a body now we love having visitors come to our church amen if you are a visitor, please know that we are glad that you are here. There is no other place that we could imagine you being than here in this place, hearing the Word of God. We love having visitors come, but membership must be kept for those who are believers of Jesus Christ. The church is the community for the faithful, those who have been brought into fellowship with the Son. Look at our text this morning. Listen to 2 Timothy three, ten through 12 Just notice right there in verse 10, what does it say? It says, you, however. You know, Paul makes a distinction of Timothy. Timothy, you are different from ever. You, however. How is Timothy different? Well, it says that what did Timothy do? He, he followed Paul's teaching. The teachings of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He believed that Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, was buried, and on the third day was raised. Timothy believed. He was a Christian. And he also demonstrated that he was a true Christian by what? By following Paul's conduct, his patience, his steadfastness, even willing to suffer for the faith. If you're willing to be persecuted because of your belief in Jesus, the odds are you probably are a true believer of Jesus Christ. So we have to ask ourselves, how was Timothy so different? Whom, from whom did he differ? We'll go back to 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9 for context. Paul writes this, now understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. Paul says that in the last days which we are in now, these are going to be the kind of people who are around. Now, if you look at this list, do you see that in our world? It's clear that that's happening. It goes on in verse 6, From among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sin and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and John oppose Moses, so these men also do what? Oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get far, for their folly will be plain to all as... Was, as it was for those two men. See, Timothy was different from the people in the world. Why? Because he believed the gospel. He believed that one could be saved from their sins by putting their faith, their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. In particularly, you see those last two people, they did what? They opposed the truth. There were people who were standing against the truth of God's word. And remember back in in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. To oppose the truth is to oppose Jesus Christ. Timothy was different because he believed the truth. So the first form of church discipline is to cautiously guard the church from people who do not follow the truth. Because you don't want to have corrective church discipline where we're going. You don't want to have it. You want to do everything you can to avoid it. So before people join the church, it is our responsibility to make sure that they're just Christians. Do they believe the Bible? Do they believe in the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do they believe in the Trinity? Do they believe that people are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? Because if they don't believe that, guess what, beloved? They oppose the truth and they oppose Jesus Christ our Savior. And eventually, you know what's going to happen? They're going to walk away from the church. Or they're going to bring division within the church. Or they're going to bring shame upon the church. This is not a a way to be unloving because we open our arms wide for everybody to come. But we must show them the narrow road of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the door. He is the gate. All are welcome. Hear me. All are welcome. But how must they come? They must come through Jesus. Because no man gets to the Father except through Him. So if you are a guest today, can I say again, we are glad that you're here. It's not usually that a pastor gets up and says that we have to guard our church, that we want to limit our membership. That's not what I'm really saying. I'm saying we want to limit our membership to who? To believers, those who trust in Jesus Christ. Um, We here do not think of ourselves as particularly great people. Uh, We're sinners. We're not special because of our good works, but we are special because we have received the special grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Everyone deserves death, and everybody has the opportunity to receive life in his name. The most famous verse in all the scripture, John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And God offers eternal life for everyone who, who would believe in him. If you are here today and you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, can I just urge you, can I implore you to believe in Jesus? Turn from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ. There is no sin in your life that can keep you from God. You may feel dirty. You may feel unrighteous. You may feel unpure. But when you come to Christ, all is wiped away. God's job is to purify you. You can't purify yourself. So if you're thinking in the back of your mind, well, I just need to clean myself up first before I come. That is not true. God says come. Come all who are weary and heavy laden, and you shall find rest. Now the church is an exclusive group. But we are the most inclusive, exclusive group there is. We will take anybody as long as they come through Jesus. Did you hear that? We will take anybody as long as they come through Jesus. So we should pray that people would come to our church who don't look like us who don't talk like us, who don't act like us, as long as they come through Jesus Christ, you are welcome here at Park Baptist Church. First form of church discipline is precautionary church discipline to protect people and protect the church from those who oppose the truth. The second thing we see here is regular formative church discipline. Regular formative church discipline. I'm not sure if you, already, you know this, but the church already practices church discipline. Every church already practices church discipline, knowingly or not. Formative church discipline is what a church does to form or mold people into the likeness of Jesus Christ. A couple of weeks ago, I, I, I talked about the mission of the church. And the mission of the church is that we would help each other do what? Grow into maturity so that we become like Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. That's our goal of the whole Christian life, is to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. This primarily happens, how? Through the hearing and preaching of God's Word. When we receive it into our hearts, not only hear it, but hear it and obey it. Paul gives Timothy a plan for his own spiritual growth as well as for the church. Look at 2 Timothy 3.14, our text this morning. He goes on, he says this, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Can I just stop there for a second? Timothy was acquainted with the sacred writings from childhood. This is one of the reasons why we want children in our church. This is why we bring children to hear the word of God even at a young age. Why? Because Timothy was acquainted with the sacred writings even as a child. And look at the purpose in the Scriptures of why Timothy was taught the Bible as a young child. Read. God's Word, it says. With the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped... For every good work, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and by his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Paul tells Timothy to continue, to continue what you have already learned by believing in the word of God. Now, this is an incredible gift, and sometimes I think we take this for granted, that God has given us his word that can make us wise unto salvation. He has given us this word that we can be moved from a destiny that is designed to go to hell because of our sins, to be paid for from our sins. But when we come to this book and we hear about the, the great news of the gospel, what happens? We move from death to life. This is an incredible gift that God gives his people. And formative discipline is when we allow our lives to be formed and shaped by this Word. All Scripture is breathed out by God. God speaks to His people. He wants us to be molded and shaped by His wise counsel. So as when we read the Word of God, we see how profitable or useful it is for us. For it teaches us the right way to live, how we should believe but it also exposes us and it reveals things in our lives that are not in line with God's words that need to be changed. The word corrects our thinking and, and, and our living so that we can be trained in righteousness. Now, many of you say to me at, at the church, at, on the way out, you, you grab my hand and said, you preached good today, I stepped on my toes. You stepped on my toes, preacher. Good, right? Because when, you, when, when your toes are being stepped on and your life is being challenged, guess What's happening? You're being formed. It's like like a potter with a clay. You're, You're forming and you're molding it so you can be improved into the image of Christ. If you come week in and week out and you hear nothing that you need to change, you're probably not listening. I don't want to offend you, but I want to offend the sin in you because I want to get that out of your life so you can become like Christ. I want it to get out of my life. The greatest good we can do as a church is to align our corporate practices with the Word of God. Listen to what one pastor says. If we compare discipline of the body of Christ to discipline of the physical body, then formative discipline would be like eating right and exercising. Formative discipline is how the church gets in shape, stays in shape, and grows. So preaching, teaching, discipling, leading small groups, Sunday school, gathering for corporate worship are all forms of this formative discipline. These activities shape the way we grow. They strengthen us for our work, both as individuals and as the church. We can help prevent serious risk of false teaching, public scandal, conscientiousness, or a host of other spiritual problems And they can even make the local church look more attractive to those on the outside. See, beloved, formative discipline is very important for the life of the local church. And fundamentally, how does this formative discipline occur? It occurs when you hear the word of God and you receive it. I mean, do you see how important Paul says the preaching of the word is? Now, This is is a verse that should make all pastors shudder. This is what it says. It says in verse 4, I charge you. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing, his second coming, and his kingdom, which he's already established, preach the word. So when I stand up on Sunday morning, you know who I'm really wanting to please? It's not you. God and the Lord, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ are looking at me and they're saying, You preach the word. Because the kingdom of God is real. Because the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of time is real. He's going to judge the living and the dead. So preach my word to my people. This is why I tell you, if you have family members who go to church that do not preach the word of God, tell them to leave. Because the pastor is being disobedient to the Bible. And he's hurting the people. Because the people are not being allowed to be formed and to be shaped With God's Word. Do you see how important that is? God believes in His Word. Beloved, you know that I I don't believe church attendance saves people, but I believe God's Word. And God loves his word, and God has made his word the center of the church. So if people do not gather and hear the word of God, how can they be formed and shaped into the word of God's likeness? Being challenged not to pick out verses in your own quiet time that speak to you individually, because we all are going to be drawn to things that do what? That affirm us, that make us feel better about ourselves. We don't like to be corrected. Which brings me to my third point, the regulative... Regular corrective church discipline. Regular corrective church discipline. Uh, In my ministry here at Park, I do a lot of writing. Uh, So I write in the Forerunner. uh, I write sermons. I write emails. uh, And I'm grateful for my wife uh, because she helps correct my writing. Uh, She reads what I have written, and she corrects my verb usage. She adds words. She takes words out. She changes words, she gives suggestions, or she just tells me, that's wrong, <laughs> you can't say that. Uh, I'm grateful for my wife because her eyes, looking at my writing, guess what it does to my writing? It improves it. It improves my sermons. It improves the, the articles I write in The Forerunner. Why? Because she's correcting things that are wrong. And I have invited her into my, into my writing to correct my writing. Now, when, when she first started doing it, was it Pleasant. No. You know how uncomfortable it is when you give someone something to, that you wrote that you think is good and strong and powerful and you handed them to edit and you're sitting next to them and what you want is to find no mistakes. But all you see is a... What's wrong, sweetie? <laughs> you know, did you not understand what I was trying to say? You know, but she was correcting. You know, we need another set of eyes, not only on our, our writing, but on our lives. We need people who are involved in our lives to help us be corrected so that we, when we get off track, as we are formed by the Word and as we grow in the knowledge of the Word, we are better equipped to help correct others when they get off of the lines of the Christian faith. I preached this several weeks ago. Ephesians 4.15 says that we are called to be speaking the truth in love to one another. Uh, This helps us see our sin and needs to be corrected. The problem, as we know, we don't like to be corrected, do we? You know, I've shared with you before, but early on in my marriage, I would ask my wife, sweetie, what do I need to do and prove as a husband? She told me. (laughs) I didn't like her telling me. I knew I needed the correction, but I was not able to receive the correction. And I think what I want you guys to see this morning is just the value of of corrective discipline. Regular corrective discipline and not the kind of corrective discipline that we're being the sin police and we're trying to point out all the things wrong in your life. That is unhealthy and that is wrong. But when you are kind of coming off kilter, you should have certain people in your life who are able to speak hard words to you for you to actually receive them. You know, maybe, hey, how can I, do you see anything in my life in terms of how I need to improve my care for my family? See, but the challenge is you have to know people well enough, and they have to know you well enough to actually speak words of criticism, words of correction to you. I mean, even in the passage today, we said the, the word of God is, is, every word is profitable and useful for correction, and then training in righteousness. So we are corrected, and we are appointed to live righteously. Do you think that you are going to get this kind of corrective church discipline if you only know people on Sunday morning? No, because what happens on Sunday morning? We're looking our best, aren't we? You know, we may have had problems with our children before the sermon or at home, right? But when we come, we kind of have our best foot forward. We want to look our best. We want to act our best. So people need to see us when maybe we're not at our best. So they can give us words of, of care, words of instruction. Well, let me just give you a list of scriptures showing the value of, of, of this kind of corrective discipline. Proverbs 17.10, a rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. Proverbs 5, 22 and 23, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he's held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly he is led astray. Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But he who hates reproof is stupid. Maybe we should read that one again. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. Whoever loves correction, who loves to be trained in righteousness by people telling them what they do wrong, loves knowledge. But those who hate it, the Bible calls stupid. You're hurting yourself. Proverbs 27.15, better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Revelation 3, 19, Jesus speaking. Those whom I love, I reprove, and I discipline. So be zealous and repent. Then probably the most well-known passage on discipline, Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is, the, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom a, his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. You ever have a father discipline you and you realize that it helped you later on in life? Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, speaking of our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. Now for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Corrective discipline is not a bad thing. It's a blessing. God disciplines us for our good so we can share in His holiness, that we could bear the fruit of righteousness. And the fact that we are disciplined shows that we are loved. Do we want that? Do we want to share in the holiness of God? Do we want to bear fruit with righteousness? Then, beloved, you know what we should do? We should invite people to give us correction. It's difficult and hard, but it's for our good. And I think that you see this idea of, um, one of the things you talk about church, corrective church discipline, is that you start thinking that it can become a legalistic thing. That the church environment becomes, be ones where we're just pointing out each other's faults. And wrongly understood, that could easily happen. That should never be. You know, all your, your sins should be kept private. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew eighteen, fifteen. Or private-ish, I should say. Uh, this is a picture Jesus gives in Matthew eighteen, fifteen. He says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. See, when you are wrong, Jesus commands you to go practice corrective church discipline. Because if they're going astray and they listen to you, you gain a brother and you spare that person from wronging God. But it's privately. Do you see that? You know, we start talking about church discipline in in, in any context. The the, 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 the immediate thought goes to, you're going to bring people's sins in front of the church. The hope is that, that will never happen. This is why we do what? <laughs> we preach the word of God. We form you and shape you. Why we encourage you to go to Sunday school. Why we encourage you to read your, your Bible on your own so that you can be formed and shaped and, and avoid sins. Even the, the passage that Robbie read said, you know, so Lord, search my heart. You know, you know let, the, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in thy sight, my Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Search my heart. Show me where I have gone astray so I can love you Better. We need to be gracious and charitable with our brothers and sisters. If there's an obvious offense, speak the truth in love. Not angrily, not pridefully. I mean, Jesus tells us what the first thing we should do when we have to correct our brother. He says, when you see a speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the the log that is in your own eye, How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your eye. Then you will see clearly, take the speck out of your brother's eye. Beloved, I pray that we will grow in our desire and our willingness to be corrected and to lovingly correct our brothers and sisters so that we may share in the holiness of God and bear fruit of righteousness. Well, the last point this morning, um, irregular protective church discipline. Irregular protective church discipline. So we are in the last days. Uh, We are living in dangerous times for our soul. Uh, 1 Peter 5 says that there is a a devil uh, who's like a roaring lion waiting to find someone to devour. There are a lot of things in this, in this world, systems that are against God, waiting to try to tear you away from His hand. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy after this exhortation to preach the Word in verse 3-5. through five. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Beloved, the time has already come where people will not endure sound doctrine. The most popular preachers um, in our culture are people who do not teach sound doctrine. They do not listen to the Word of God, but they they listen to, to, to preachers who speak lies. And they turn away from God's Word, God's holy Word, and turn into myths. When people start to oppose the truth with their life or with their belief, with what they think, it is necessary for the church to protect their soul by removing them eventually from the community if they don't turn in repentance. Now I'm going to spend all next week talking about this idea of Uh, corrective church discipline or or protective church discipline. Uh, But beloved, look what God's Word says. Paul, at the end of his life, he says this in verse 6 and 7, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Why could Paul say that? It's because he did not wander away from the truth into myths, but he trusted in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, I I want none of you, I want none of my family, none of my friends to wander into myths, to walk away from God. The Bible says those who walk away from God and reject him, they will perish in a literal hell for all eternity. And if people are going that way, I want to be bold enough. I want to be loving enough, even if people would hate me, that I would be persecuted for saying, don't go that way. And if you continue to go that way, we want to have you feel the discipline from the church so that you won't stay there. Because what does Paul say? Because he kept the faith, because he finished the race, because he fought the good fight, he says, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. See, Paul received the crown of righteousness from Jesus Christ, the righteous judge. That crown was guaranteed to all, also to all those who would love his appearing, who would remain steadfast with him. So how did Paul finish this race well? Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only the one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we do it for an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body. And keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Beloved, the reason why we have to restore church discipline is that we want people to finish the race. We want people to fight the good fight. We want people to keep the faith so that on that last day, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's the judge of the living and the dead, will award to us. A crown of righteousness as we have loved his appearing. So let us press on toward that goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for uh, the sweet grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Father, I pray uh, as you speak about things that may be difficult to hear, it may be difficult to understand or may be new uh, for people in this, in this congregation. And God, I pray that you would allow your Spirit to protect us, uh, from protect us uh, of thinking things that were not said um, or thinking things that were not meant to be said. Uh, God, we pray that you would continue to protect our church. God, I pray that you would continue to discipline us, to form us, and to shape us in your likeness. God, we pray that we are vigilant. We are vigilant to protect one another from walking in to myths and away from the truth. God, I pray for my my friends, my beloved that you have gathered here today. God, I pray that you would allow them to receive the crown of righteousness on that day. God, I pray that you help them finish the race. I pray that you help them fight the faith. I gotta fight for the faith. God, I pray that you help them finish the race. God, help them long for your appearing. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.